Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. So we are working through our, our, our way through our Advent series, which is going back to the book of Isaiah. And today we're going to be in chapter 11. And Julian read us a portion of that prophecy. Um, we're going to be looking at this specific prophecy that is a fulfillment of Jesus. We can view these prophecies throughout uh, the old, whole Old Testament of Jesus. It's there point to Jesus, and we can see them as like signposts. That's kind of giving us directions, you know, when you're driving down the road and there's signposts kind of leading you to a certain place. That's basically what's taking place here, especially in the book of Isaiah. And of course, it's talking about Jesus. And this is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's because he is the promised Messiah who came in order to save a people from judgment and wrath. And so the scriptures tell us that we are sinners. We're deserving of condemnation. And God sent his son. He sent him as a baby. He sent him as an infant to ultimately grow up, to die on a cross, to die a sinner's death, and to atone for our sin. So we're going to be looking at this prophecy today in Isaiah chapter 11, which describes this Messiah who we know to be Jesus. But before we get into the passage, let me give you a little background of the book of Isaiah. You can basically break it down into two categories. A lot of the book of Isaiah, of course, Isaiah is a prophet and he's prophesying to kings and to the people of Israel during a time when uh, they weren't following after the Lord like they were called to. And so Isaiah's prophecy, there's a lot of judgment, a lot of pronouncement of judgment of what's going to happen. And so if, if we don't like to hear that kind of thing, so the people of Israel did not like to hear the message that Isaiah was giving of this judgment, but also throughout these uh prophecies of judgment was sprinkled along with it prophecies or promises of hope. So listen, Israel, you're going to be going through a terrible time. It's going to be really bad, but there's, there's going to be hope. And so he speaks of this hope as well. And it's a hope that there's going to be a savior that's going to come and bring peace and restoration. But it's going to be peace and restoration in a way that they do not expect. They will not expect this way. And so this morning, we're going to read Isaiah chapter 11. Before I'm going to read it, but before I do, here's kind of like the main idea of what, what we're going to be looking at here in Isaiah chapter 11. And that is that ultimate peace and restoration will come to all peoples through the birth of Jesus, who is the, the promised Messiah. So the ultimate peace and restoration will come to all peoples 
through the birth of Jesus, the promised Messiah. And so with that, let's stand together for the reading of the word. And that's whoever um, is able to stand. Please stand with me in honor of the word. Let me read this prophecy. And if you want to follow along with me, just uh, follow along. Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eye sees or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the, with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. The wolf shall, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the, call, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the, as the waters cover the sea. In the day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would give us greater understanding of it as we look into specifically this prophecy in Isaiah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. All right, so there are three observations that I would like to make coming from this prophecy, and we'll go through those one by one. Observation one is that the, the shoot from Jesse will sprout. This is a promise that the shoot from Jesse will sprout. This comes from the very first verse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So Isaiah here is using a word picture that was very popular in the Old Testament times concerning a stump of a tree and a shoot that will sprout from this stump. And I have a picture for you to kind of show you what this would look like. Um, and, uh, you know, a great example of this, and Evie, you can leave this up for, for a time. Um, if you remember back to our series in the book of Daniel, there was a time when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he wanted someone to uh, help him understand and interpret this dream. And so he calls Daniel and Daniel has to actually have to figure out what the dream was. But it was this dream of this tree um, with birds that would come and feed and, and nest and animals would come to it. And then it gets chopped down 
And then eventually, in, in a weird way, it, it kind of comes back in an in interesting way. But, but the point is, is uh, Daniel interprets this correctly and saying, hey, listen, you're basically, you and your kingdom is that tree. And it's getting cut down. And it's because of your arrogance and your pride. But, but that kingdom and, and, and your throne is going to get chopped down and eventually get restored. Right, so that's that's the picture here and the image that uh, we see here in Isaiah as well is that there's this tree and it's and it's bearing fruit and it's a blessing and it's basically pointing back to the kingdom of David and the kingdom of Solomon. So uh, imagine yourself during during Isaiah's time. This is during the time of the kings. And Isaiah comes and he says, because you guys have walked away from the Lord, this is what's going to happen. The tree is going to be cut. And so what's this tree? We'll go back in time to the time of David and the time of Solomon. And this was during, a, this was the golden age of Israel. So when Dave, King David, when he was about to die uh, at the end of his, his time, um, the scriptures say that uh, David rested and there was peace. He defeated all of his enemies. There was no more war. There was now a time of peace. And King Solomon, the next king comes in. And this was basically the golden age of Israel where there was great prosperity. So just an example of this, there was a time when this queen of Sheba comes to visit Israel and King Solomon and this is what it says of that encounter. This is in 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 3 through 7. And when the queen of Sheba had, been all, had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no breath in her. What she experienced and what she saw in this kingdom took her breath away. She never saw anything like this, the kind of prosperity. It continues on, verse six. And she said to the king, the report was true that, that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. So this was, this kingdom that Solomon ruled, that it was unlike anything that the queen of Sheba has ever seen. And this is a picture of the flourishing tree bearing much fruit and blessing all the people of the land and even people outside of the land. And so now we fast forward to Isaiah's time. And this is after the kingdom was split. And so throughout the kings, there was a time when Israel becomes split. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Isaiah's speaking to the southern king. And this is uh, where Jerusalem was, the city of David. And um, it was called Judea back then. So it was the king of Judea. Um, David's line still reigned over that region, 
but there was much turmoil because the kings turned away from God and worshiped idols. So Isaiah is declaring that this flourishing tree is going to be cut down and there will be nothing left but a stump. There's the judgment. But there's also the promise, and that's what we're reading about today in Isaiah chapter 11, that out of the stump, out of this destruction, out of this judgment, there is a promise of hope, and it's the shoot that will come out of the stump of Jesse. And so the stump of Jesse is basically pointing back to the lineage of King David, right? Jesse is the father of David, and then, of course, David's the father of Solomon, and it continues on. So it's out of this lineage that there's going to be this promise of the shoot that will come and grow. And we know that it, it's talking about Jesus. And so if we go back to our series in the book of Matthew that we're, we're in right now, you go to the very first chapter, you see that lineage, you see that line. Because in the first chapter of Matthew is a genealogy. And it goes from Abraham all the way through to King David and from King David to Jesus. So Jesus is the end here. Jesus is the shoot that is promised way back in the book of Isaiah. And now Isaiah in this prophecy is going to describe what the shoot is like. So have you ever heard of the phrase or the, the word bolo? It's an acronym, BOLO. Um, like, this is like cop talk. Like, if you over the, um, a BOLO is be on the lookout, right? Be on the lookout for, and it's some type of description, whether it's like a vehicle, be on the lookout of a rusty old 2001 Dodge Caravan minivan. Um, that would be mine, by the way. Be on the lookout for uh, this person. They describe what this person looks like. Um, this is kind of what verses two and three are doing. Actually, even more than that, uh, the, the next verses is kind of like a bolo. Be on the lookout for this type of person, this, this Messiah, this promised one, this shoot. Be on the lookout for this one to come. And so it's a description of who or what this person looks like. So let's look at this, verses two and three. It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. So let's just stop right there and, and look at how G, this is a description of Jesus. So if we go back to our series in the book of Matthew, we've talked about this throughout our series. So for example, it says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. We've already seen this take place in Matthew chapter three, where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And after he comes out of the water, the spirit of God comes down like a dove and rests upon Jesus. And, and this is, this is uh, a, a scene that uh, John the Baptist sees and people witness of, of the spirit descending upon Jesus and the voice of the father coming and saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is a unique way that the spirit falls upon 
this person who is Jesus, the Messiah. If, it can, when, uh, if we continue on, this, this spirit is going to be a spirit of wisdom and understanding. And so, for example, in Matthew chapter 13, when Jesus goes back to his hometown and teaches in their synagogues, uh, verse 53 says that the people that were listening were astonished at his wisdom and his mighty works. The kind of ministry that Jesus was doing, and we, like I said, we've been reading about this, astonished the people that were listening to him. If you remember uh, the Sermon on the Mount, after he completed the Sermon on the Mount, it says that the people that were hearing were astonished because he taught with authority that they've never heard before. Nothing like they heard that came from the scribes and the Pharisees. And so we see this full of wisdom and understanding. Also, the spirit of counsel and might. So all throughout Jesus' ministry, we continually see him counsel his disciples and, and about spiritual matters. And when people ask questions, he answers them in a way where they're astounded. But we also see these great works that he does, where he is commanding demons to be cast out and they flee. He's got authority over demons. He's got authority over nature. So we see these mighty works take place. He's raising the dead and healing the sick. A spirit of counsel and might. And then the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So there's so many examples of this where people encounter, when Jesus encounters people and there's this interaction, there's times when it says in Jesus knew the thoughts and the hearts of the people. And he actually calls it out. We see this throughout the book of Matthew. And we see Jesus following after the Lord. There's a great example of uh, the time when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is praying. And he's saying, Lord, if, if this is, um, he, take this cup from me. Take what I'm about to do uh, from me but not my will, your will be done. There's a way where he is submitting to the Father. There's this picture of him fearing the Lord and following after him. And so in Isaiah chapter 11, verses two through three, this bolo, this description, we see it exemplified in Jesus, the Messiah. All right, so also in verse three through five, we see Isaiah describe this shoot that comes from the line of Jesse as one who will impart perfect justice. Perfect justice. So let me read this for you. It says, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he, uh, his ears hear. So let me just stop right there. We're going to kind of break this passage down a little bit. So this is what we normally do, right? When it comes to judging others, it's by what we see and what we hear. But we also know that Jesus, he doesn't judge in that way. He judges knowing what is in the heart. Let me go back to Matthew again. If you read through Matthew and what he's describing of, of um, what is important and what it means to follow him, it doesn't just... He doesn't just talk about action and duty. 
He talks about the kind of heart that he's looking for. And it's because he knows what's in the human heart. And the call to change of repentance is a change in heart. Jesus is about the heart, not just actions and duties. Verse four, but with the righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his throne. And I love that word picture of righteousness being the belt of his waist. And so it's kind of like, um, it's, this is what holds everything together. His righteousness and faithfulness. It's, it's what's important. It's the foundation in what we believe. It's the foundation of, a, of our faith, not our righteousness, his righteousness, not our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. Amen. And so this is a description again of Jesus and what he is all about. And also notice this when, when we're talking about judgment, yes, there's, there's a negative, right? There's, there's bad judgment, judgment we don't like, but it's also talking about good judgment here. It's about making what was wrong, right. And so it's this picture of the poor, the, um, he shall judge the poor and decide the equity for the meek of the earth. So it's not just those who do evil and those who sin and, and judgment and, and damnation, but it's also lifting and exalting those who are weak, those who are poor, those who are humble. So it's a perfect judgment and it's gonna be a future judgment that we will see. Okay, so this is a description, a bolo of what, who to look for. And we know that it's, it's pointing to Jesus. These are signposts that get us to Jesus. And why are, we, why are we looking at this today? Because we're in the Advent series where we are celebrating the birth of this promised one to come. This is so significant. This, this promised suffering Messiah will come as a baby. And so we, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. All right, so that's observation one, that a shoot of Jesse will sprout. Here's observation number two, and that through this sprout that will come, the shoot that will come, peace and restoration is promised. So this is Isaiah verses six, Isaiah 11, verses six through nine. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Let me repeat that. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the, as the waters cover the sea. And so friends, this is a beautiful picture of peace. 
that will come in the second coming of Christ. So this has not necessarily happened yet. This is a foreshadowing of what is to come in the second coming of Christ. He will come back. He will judge the heavens and the earth, and he will bring peace. So let me ask you this. Can you imagine, can we imagine what this peace would look like? This this future peace, and I think it's kind of hard for us to grasp. So when I think of peace and tranquility, I think of a time, um, I think this was last summer, uh, Kara and I went up and um, celebrated our, what was it, 22nd anniversary? (laughs) Yes, I got the thumbs up. 22nd anniversary, we went up to the UP and uh, and it was this uh, small cabin out in the middle of nowhere. And it was kind of eerie because um, when, when we were there, it was so quiet. And I couldn't figure out why it felt so quiet, eerily quiet than, than what I'm normally used to. And it wasn't because of children, okay? There, there is that, have you ever experienced, you know, being in a room full of young children or maybe in the playroom over there? And the chaos and the screaming and the yelling, and then you kind of like get home. Grandparents, you experience this. You get home and there's just like this peace. You're like, well, it was kind of similar when I was up in the UP. And this is what I realized. I actually didn't realize it until I came back to my house and went outside. Because when I go outside, I hear hear the highway. The highway is pretty far away from me, I, I felt like. But I could hear the, the semi-trucks, hear this humming of the traffic, hearing a, um, I hear uh, the trains coming through and blasting the horns. I hear, actually can hear the waves in Lake Michigan oftentimes as well. So there's this, all this background noise that I don't even realize that's there until, until I leave it and uh, up in the UP specifically, and there's this peace and tranquility that I've never experienced don't, or don't often experience. And you're like, whoa, whoa, this is nice. Okay, so imagine now the kind of ultimate peace and tranquility and restoration, something that we've never experienced before. So let me, let me uh, describe it in this way. We have, we've never experienced this kind of peace before. No, so every generation, I think, every generation thinks that the world is coming to an end. Every generation. I think our generation, we look at the conflict, we we look at the turmoil that's going on in our world, the wars that are taking place, we turn on the news, or even our own conflicts that we have, our interpersonal conflicts, relational conflicts with neighbors or friends or work at work, um, employees and employers, all this. There's, there's turmoil around us. There's noise around us. And we think to ourselves, man, it's like the world's coming to an end. But here's the thing. The world has always been coming to an end. There has always been conflict Ever since Adam and Eve ate that fruit, there was conflict, right? They hid from God, and when God exposes them and calls them out, what does Adam do? 
Why, why are you hiding? It was the woman. Do you think, do you think, you think Eve let that go? When God left, do you think, do you think Eve let that go? What are you, what are you doing <laughs> blaming it all on me? From then on, what's the next chapter? It was Cain and Abel. There was murder. From then on, we see turmoil. We see conflict. And it just continues on throughout history. It has always been there. And it continues on to this day. We have not yet experienced true peace. That's described in Isaiah chapter 11. But it will come. It was promised in Isaiah chapter 11. It was revealed. It was promised. And then when the Messiah comes, it, 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 it's it, um, revealed even greater and it will come to a fruition because Jesus promises it. He speaks of it. Revelation 21, we're looking forward to it still. Revelation 21 verse two through four says, Behold, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Which when was the, God dwelt with man when? In the Garden of Eden. He will dwell with him. And they will be his and they will be his people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more; neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Friends, that is another description of peace. This is the kind of peace that Isaiah is describing. It's a peace that comes when there is no more crying, no more pain, when the former things, the things that we're experiencing today and have been experiencing throughout history is no more. It is no more. We see a glimmer of this in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, glory to God the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace, there's this picture of peace that will come when we see that little child laying in the manger because that promise comes through him. All right, so observation one, a shoot of Jesse will sprout. Observation two, he will bring peace, peace and restoration. Here's number three. God's people will be gathered out of all nations. God's people will be gathered out of all nations. This comes out of uh, verse 10, and I'm also going to read verse 11. It says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a sig signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day... The Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. And so here's the thing. When 
Jesus was on earth. He ministered exclusively to Israel at that time. If you remember, uh, in our series in Matthew, we talked about this. There was a Canaanite woman who approaches Jesus and she wants to be healed or she's uh, asking for her, I think it's for her daughter to be healed. And, um, and Jesus says, you know, I have not come for those outside of Israel. I've only caught, come for the lost sheep of Israel. So he was being exclusive, specifically ministering to the people of Israel. Of course, we know the end of the story. The woman is persistent in her faith, which then opens the doors and Jesus goes, because of your faith, I'm going to, I'm going to do what you request. But during that time, during Jesus's ministry, he was focused on Israel, but here's what's so beautiful. This is what's so wonderful is after his death, after his resurrection, he's going to ascend to heaven and he goes to his disciples and he tells his disciples, yes, I ministered just to Israel, but you are to expand this ministry out to all peoples. And he gives them this commission. He says, go out and make disciples of all nations, all nations. In the book of Acts, uh, it's repeated in a little bit of a different way in a um, it's a little bit more descriptive where he goes, go out to Jerusalem, then to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, proclaim the gospel. Why? Why do that? Because the gospel is for all people, all kinds of people. The gospel is open to all. A wonderful picture of this or testimony of this is in, uh, in the book of Acts and it's the event we call Pentecost, right? Where the disciples are up in this room and they're praying together and the Holy Spirit descends upon them and they go out and they start preaching the gospel in other languages, languages that other people can understand, God wants his message to go out and for various kinds of people, all kinds of people to understand it. This is the kind of God that we serve. This is a God who comes down as a baby in humility to live a righteous life and for his plan to be to die on the cross to atone for our sins, to save a people. Save a people that come from all nations. So, how is this message that we find in Isaiah, how is it relevant for us today? So let me ask this question to you. What would it look like for you to experience peace today. So yes, there's this promise of a future peace, but we can actually live in peace today through Jesus Christ. So what would that look like? Let me give you um, a... Um, some practical ways of how this would look. And it actually comes from Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Because here's the thing. Um, I, th 
I actually looked up the stat, and I, I deleted it from my manuscript, but I think this is kind of important of how it's relevant today. Um, the stat was one out of eight Americans are on some type of antidepressant, meaning that we are, as a culture, really struggling with anxiety and with depression and, and angst. And it's like, why, why do we struggle so much with that? There is, I think, I think a lot of it is that we're bombarded with so much information and, and, uh, and of turmoil and conflict that's all around us. Like, that's kind of the message that we get all the time, conflict, turmoil. And I think it wells up within us anxiety. When, when we feed on that, that's what tends to get into our heart. And so Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. It's like, thanks, that's easier said than done. But he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, but in everything, not just some things, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, I think prayer and supplication are important here. That's why we got it underlined. And I, and I think this is really important too. This is why it's bold. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I should probably have highlighted and underlined and made bold the to God. <laughs> I think that's a big thing too. But it's, but it's turning to the Lord it's engaging in the Lord. That's what prayer is. It's engaging in the Lord. It's, it's giving our request to him, but the perspective or the heart behind it is with thanksgiving. A heart of gratitude. And I think, I think by make, doing this practice of engaging in the Lord in this way actually cultivates, helps us with a heart of gratitude, which I think will result in a heart of peace. If you want a heart of peace throughout your day, I think this is where we need to go. I think this is it's engaging with the Lord in prayer, but it's out of a heart of gratitude, of, what, of the blessings of God, even through the difficult times, finding the blessings of our Lord. Here's what I think would be helpful too. When we reflect on Jesus as this tranquil, lowly, humble baby laying in a major, may we be reminded of the peace we can have in Christ. So even during this Advent series, when we, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we know why he came to earth as a human, as, as a little baby, we know it was to bring peace, not just for today, but for the future. All right, so that's one way we can apply this passage. Here's another one, and it comes out of this question. How can we continue to spread the message of Jesus to all? God wants this message to go to all nations, to all kinds of people. So how can we be part of that? So one way is to support 
our missionaries. We have so many different people that are involved in missions, and we invite them to come and speak in Sunday school class. We have a whole month where we talk about missions. Um, Pastor Jeff is involved in missions and going overseas. He just got back from going over and training pastors to preach the gospel in their native um, lands, in their regions, in their own regions. We have uh, Mike Bowden, who's an elder who cares for his ministry, is caring for the spiritual welfare of missionaries, which is really important for the work to continue on. Um, there's different ways that we can support them by praying for them and by supporting them financially. But here's another one as well. So it's not just missions and missionaries, but for ourselves, we have a great opportunity right now during this season. Because this is what Christmas is all about. It's, it's Jesus being born. And why is that so significant? And so the opportunity is now. And we can even talk about Isaiah chapter 11. Why, why is the birth of Jesus so important? Because it's actually, it's fulfilling a promise. A promise that was given by this prophet named Isaiah. And it's a promise of ultimate peace and restoration that will come to all peoples and it's through the birth of Jesus. This, this was promised. He is the promised Messiah to come. So for people today, we can say, or we can ask, do you want peace? This is, this is where we can find peace. This is, this is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It is only through Jesus Christ that you can find peace. And it's just an, an, uh, an opportunity to preach the gospel. So with that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I come before you now. We come before you. We give you thanks for this time that we can, we can look at Isaiah chapter 11, how it, it's a prophecy that comes to fulfill, fulfillment through Jesus. That's why we are celebrating his birth, because it's so significant. Uh, Father, we pray that um, you would minister to our hearts, that you would, through the Spirit, reveal to us what it looks like to cultivate peace in our own lives and also look forward to the peace that will come when Jesus returns. We also pray for a heart that will be uh, an opportunities to communicate the gospel in a way, Lord, that would be inviting to others. Lord, we, we thank you. Thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.